their sound guys were the creepiest dudes. You would be having a conversation, you know, they've got free range and their sound guy has this boom on this like extender pole. It must be like 30 feet long. You could be having a private conversation and you just get the feeling that someone is listening and hovering about five feet above your head is this fuzzy mic and you're just like, holy shit, what did I say? They're gonna catch people out talking shit about one another for sure. Welcome to The Drop. My name is Danny Johnson and this week on the show we have Ronnie Blakey. I spoke to Ronnie about a bunch of things, the tour, the Olympics, the documentary series that Netflix is making on the world tour at the moment and the secret conversations they're recording. The same production company that made the incredible show Drive to Survive uh, and regardless of the topics, it's always just so good talking to Ronnie because, because he's so good at it. Firstly though, let's catch up on this week's surf news with the Big Dick Power Surfer, Stabs Editor, the Chief of Police, Brendan Buckley. Oh, hello, Daniel. Hello, Mr. Buckley. How are you? Um, I'm terrible. <laughs> I'm, I'm awful. Why? <laughs> I, I think a good, a good way to tell how I'm doing in life is if I've been going for runs, then I am truly awful. And I've been going for runs because it's been so flat. And running is the type of thing that makes me just appreciate surfing so much more. Because, you know, people get passionate about running. Like, they love it. And I'm like, imagine if that was your thing. All right. Well, at least you're keeping the fitness up. That's good to hear. What sort of of news have you got for us this week? Ooh, this was a good one. This was a good one, Danny. The first piece of news I'd like to talk about, probably my favorite thing that's happened in a little while is Gabriel Medina stole John John Florence's song, just robbed him of it. Did you happen to see that? I did. I saw the story on the site. Our um, our newest member of the STAB team, Ethan Davis, wrote that story and was Medina playing head games with John, using the exact same song that, that John John's used in a previous edit. Yeah, well, it's just such an obscure song. Like I looked it up and it has less than a million views on YouTube, which in this day and age is, you know, not a lot. And it's just, it's just got this guy yelling and it's kind of techno. Like, it's not like a fucking song that's just on the radio every day. Like, it's obscure. You can get your prosperity out. If you can get your mind out, no devil in hell, no weapon falling. I will rejoice. That means that you're leaning towards this was an intentional use. It's, it's so hard to say because he's, you know how there's some surfers that they say like exist in a tunnel and they don't really look at what anybody else is doing and all that. Medina kind of strikes me as that. Mm. But then I just don't know how else he would encounter that song. I mean, maybe it was like a trickle down effect where somebody got it from John and it somehow made it onto his friend's playlist from there. But I'd love to believe He's truly using it to fuck with John. Yeah. Well, given the play count, I think that's believable. And in regards to the amount of attention they pay to each other, I was really surprised when Mick Fanning interviewed John, Mick and Sam McIntosh interviewed John on uh, the series Unplugged we were doing for a little while with Mick. When the topic of Medina came up, he was 
and and you can see it more in the video, just his body language. He was he was pretty candid in admitting that he he pays a hell of a lot of attention and kind of obsesses over what Gabby does. Like the first three events, like I didn't care what anyone was doing, but Gabe. I was like, I don't care who won that event. Like, what did Gabe get? <laughs> I just remember thinking at the time, I just don't think that Gabby returns that favor. I just can't imagine him doing that but is he just pulling the wool over our eyes like they're such competitive monsters maybe he is watching every john john edit and 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 obsessing over them yeah well since that's the case with john imagine what it was like for him to discover that just you know on instagram one day and he sees that and he's like what the fuck is this guy serious like (laughs) it's my song That's my pastoral screaming. And wasn't it weird seeing Medina surf without 600 stickers on his board? He had the first couple of waves in that edit, he's got no tail pad. And then just in general, just seeing Medina release any sort of free surf edit is so uncommon. Um, you just don't see it. It is jarring to see him without the logos. Yeah. I'll say that. It's shocking. When I had Callanan on this show, Ryan Callanan, he was talking about the impact of releasing edits prior to events. And he was saying that he thinks that it could potentially hurt your scores because if judges see it, they're seeing you surf at your absolute best and you're getting compared to that when they, when they judge you. And he thought that Medina, whether it was tactical or not, had an advantage of never releasing edits because every time you see him surf in a heat, you get a little bit more excited about what he does and, and, and the sort of airs he does and his techniques. And um, yeah, watching this edit, this, this little free surf moment, I was kind of like, I don't want to see this. I just want to see him surf in heats. I've kind of gotten so used to it. It was just sort of bizarre. Like it almost doesn't suit him to release a free surf edit. It looks, it's just, it's just weird. Him burning it around is. with his girlfriend on a jet ski. It is. And whenever I see one, I can never take it seriously. Anytime it's like new Gabriel Medina edit, I just think in my head, he didn't try. Like (laughs) he didn't go out there and try to like stack footage. Like you're going to just serve me a couple of times when he just happened to be surfing and somebody was pointing a camera at him. And I never, you've never really seen him put his heart into a movie, you know? Mm. I'd love to though. Yeah. Well, what do you think John's thinking right now on his wobbly leg? When he sees that. I think that he needs to find another pastor to scream over some techno and just go tit for tat. Hey, just hit him right back or steal something from Gabe. I don't know what he can steal from Gabe, but I think he'd have to kind of try to own something that, that Gabriel has owned in the past. Mm. I've said for a while that he needs to go since Gabriel is all mellow now and he seems to be more likable to a lot of people in the last year or two, I think John needs to go bad boy. He needs to just be a prick, be real cold, maybe have some meltdowns, do that kind of shit. So I think that's his way to kind of come back at Gabe being the really likable guy now, you know? Counteract it a bit. That's only the half of it. The Olympic surf forecast. Huge, huge. Yeah, what are we talking here? It was funny because there was a point when it looked like they're going to properly get hit with a typhoon and the surf forecast, like I just looked on magic seaweed and I think it was saying 30 to 40 feet, similar to the oh, stab shit. in the dark in Japan thing with Mick. And so the forecast was legit saying 40 foot swell first day of the Olympics and obviously 40 foot swell with 80 mile per hour winds, but that's changed a bit. And 
as of right now, it looks like on the opening day, Sunday, they'll have big, like well overhead, maybe double overhead waves with not great wind. And then the second day could be pretty damn good. I think it cleans up and there's still overhead waves and good wind and they could actually get some firing waves. Oh my that's how it looks right now. Goodness. So it went from, this is, it's going to be dead flat. Maybe we'll do it in a wave pool. No, we're definitely not doing it in a wave pool. Oh my God, it's going to be huge. Maybe we'll die to now. Now it's, it's going to be a reasonable size and it might be pumping. It's exactly the path it took. Did you happen to see that Kolohe and Dino clip that Stab reposted on Instagram? Yeah, I saw that. Tiny, dribbly, shitty waves. When I first saw that, it made me think of how scary it would be if that was really what the Olympics were going to be. It was like everybody's worst fear was going to be confirmed. That type of surfing, I think, was the exact thing that everybody had in mind was like, oh, it's going to be two foot and beach break and whatever. And I saw that and I was like, oh, that might actually happen. (laughs) That's the exact conditions I pictured as well. And I thought that was guaranteed. So the fact that you're saying that it might actually pump, are we saying pump? What, what, to what level of quality are we talking here? Or are we just saying of, of relative size? I spoke with a photographer from there who said that it really depends on how the banks are. Like, I think without a doubt, there's going to be, at least as the forecast looks right now, without a doubt, it looks like there's going to be swell and the winds will be good for at least a day or two. It's just a matter of how good the banks at that location actually are. And if they can handle a bigger swell, like I think they're pretty reliable and pretty fun on the smaller days, but you know, it takes a good bank to create, you can't just have good wave, great waves at an average bank when, when it's on, you know? So mm. I haven't heard any reports there. I'm not sure if anybody outside the Japanese surf community would really know how the bank is there because people are just showing up for the first time. They couldn't really show up early and train with all the Olympic protocols. So we'll see, but mm. definitely swell and definitely good win according to what we got right now. And how many days does it take to run this event? They can get it done in three, but the ideal is four. Mm-hmm. And they have an eight-day window to do it. And it looks like I don't fucking trust these 17-day surf forecast things. Like, you know, <laughs> they can't get the weather right for tomorrow. But, yeah, you're going to tell me exactly what the waves are going to be like three weeks from now. Sure. You know? Hey, we spoke about this last week and not long after – you got off the phone, you got a call from Fernando, head of the ISA. Uh, what did he have to say? I mean, sorry, we didn't talk about the swell. We talked about the potential of having it in a wave pool. What was, the, what was that phone call like with Fernando? That was an immediate. So it was funny because in the interview that Mikey did with Willie from American Wave Machines, Willie said the direct quote was, there's a chance. Yeah. And Fernando's direct quote was, no chance in hell. <laughs> yeah. So no chance in hell. I wrote a story about it. I wrote absolutely fucking not. And then I think the rest of the title was the Olympics won't be held in the wave pool. I used that because I shared the information that I got from Fernando and I paired it with an opinion that it shouldn't be in a pool. And my biggest point there was other than stab high, which is not a traditional surf contest in any way. I've never seen proof that wave pools are really going to make surf contests more interesting. Yeah. Right? Like, not the traditional ones, at least. The, the biggest example we have of that is the surf ranch. And I know that you could blame that on the wave, but I've still never seen a wave pool enhance a traditional surf contest. Nobody has shown me that. 
Have you seen that? Mm. No, I certainly haven't. Other than, um, you know, at the start of North Shore, which is fictional, the great film. Oh, oh yeah. Nice. Rick Kane is determined to make his dream come true. Reading the ocean has always been the skill that you need to do whatever you're trying to do. And to remove that, I don't think we're really ready yet. And still, just show me an example of it working. Show me an example of, of a pool actually making a traditional surf contest better, and then maybe I'll bite. Could happen, but I've yet to see one. People just think it's some magic. Oh, put it in a wave pool. It fixes everything. No, it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, uh, while they're not great in the pool... Uh, there has to be a point where the conditions get so bad in the ocean that it would be more entertaining in the pool if it just turned into a trick comp, which would essentially be similar to Step High, which is great. Oh, that's only the half of it. So this went down late last week, but there was a shark attack at J-Bay. Yes. And we actually caught up with the victim, which was a pretty wild interview. Yeah, you know, I've thought about this so much, just about what it's like in that moment. And... Like what's going on? Are you sitting there and just out of nowhere, like does the shark just hit you or do you have a sense of foreboding? Do you, you know, like all those things. Like I was, I was riveted reading that interview that Craig Jarvis did. It was, it was so fascinating. Yeah, I found it fascinating as well. The scariest thing that I thought was said in there is that, you know, I, I just kind of pictured shark attacks as a thing where the shark kind of gets you and then bails. Like I didn't, the idea that a shark could hit you and then still be lurking around as was the case in this attack is so terrifying to me. Yes. And he has a line in there about seeing it after it attacked him kind of doubling back. And I just can't imagine the terror that goes through your body and mind when you see that happening. You're trying to figure out what your arms fucking dangling off. And you're like, Oh, this thing's turned back at me now. Like I'm not into that. <laughs> <laughs> not into that. What about when he yelled out to his mates? He was like, I've been bitten by a shark. And they yelled back, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> what are, you, are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> maybe he did, maybe it came out like quite mellow. Maybe he, he and, but either way, that is, that was just hilarious. Well, maybe he's mates with Joe Turpel. <laughs> Why you think he was really, he was really quite calm when he was calling uh, Mick, that heat when Mick got bitten yeah, yeah. or almost bitten. Yeah, he's like, Looks like a fish in the water near Mick. Like it, yeah, you know I what, what exactly he said, but it was Th- incredible. There's, real, there's really strict protocol for the World Surf League and any sportscaster when you're calling something like that. If someone gets a horrific injury or there's something like potentially tragic going down and you're not allowed to do anything other than say what's happening. You're not allowed to say, oh, he'll be all right. Oh, let's, let's hope he's better. It, it, there's really strict law. So what Joe did was follow protocol. And as you can imagine, Joe would always follow proto. He would never. He would be by the book, I reckon. And that professionalism is just, is just something that, you know, everyone just loves about Joe Trappell. He's, he's definitely by the book. And, and so when he called that heat and just said exactly what was happening, he was following the guidelines for when something horrific goes on because they don't want you to like – pontificate or try and play it down or, or even hype it up. They just want you to just say exactly what's happening and, and nothing more. That makes it incredible to me. Like, can you imagine keeping your cool in that situation? Yeah. Seeing Mick Fanning get hit by a shark yeah. and just saying 
that there was a fish in the water or whatever he said? Yeah. I mean, Potts didn't. Potts kind of was like, I think he said shit and then said nothing else. (laughs) (laughs) Which, I mean, and Potts wasn't the sort of guy that you would expect to follow Proto. They just let out their, their characters like, perfectly in in that scenario <laughs> shit <laughs> that's what i remember i'll have to double check the tape for last season as you look at fanning on the rankings oh, you can see a little splash oh holy shit excuse me Looks like Fanning needing Fanning needing some assistance. He's swimming into the beach as we sound the horn to stop the final. Fanning still swimming on his own right to the assistance of the jet skis. He'll hop on the sled and reset. So climbing up with his own ability as he keeps his head down. Fanning with a thumbs up. He is okay. I mean, what? What would you say if somebody got taken by a shark right next to you? I might say shit. Yeah, I got to say, I, I definitely related way more with Potts than I did with Joey. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, uh, shit. Shit. <laughs> shit indeed. Yeah, so that's an amazing story. I'll, I'll put a link to that and every story that we talk about in the notes for this episode, but that one's on Stab Premium, uh, a story, an interview by Craig Jarvis with Shark Attack Survivor. It is definitely well worth a read. Well worth a read. Oh, that's only the half of it. So a big one, we have Vans Stab High presented by Monster Energy Central America. And let's talk about it. So you're a judge. Episode one's coming out. Uh, what can the viewers expect? The viewers can expect to watch a great series. I don't want to give too much away. But as a judge, I do want to share a story about how hard it is to judge heirs. I feel like for a long time, heirs and if you want to call it power surfing or whatever, were just looked at as two different things. And heirs were just their own. Heirs in general were just this massive thing that was it stood on its own. And it's gotten so far that heirs are now this massive thing that you can judge in amongst itself. And that was the whole point of Stab High. And that is such a hard thing to do. Mm. Like... I really didn't expect it to be that hard. And airs are so different. There's so many different ways you can go really high. You can go off a really big section. You can go really tech. Trying to figure out what's better than another thing is so complex. And it's really fun. And yeah. I hope it makes for great viewing. I'm really looking forward to the the drama of the judges and uh, as, as, as that series unfolds. Because I've heard there was a lot of contention. Because anyone who's done a project with a bunch of pro surfers knows that they're so hyper opinionated about what good surfing is, what good airs are, and and yeah. So it's not just a surf comp; it's a it's a it's a series that has a lot of character and and bit of drama um, in amongst it. So it should be very tantalizing viewing. Yeah. Uh, quick story: When I was maybe twenty, I was doing a pro junior just on the east coast where I grew up, and the waves were pretty similar to what we saw with Kolohe in Japan, just knee high, onshore, awful. And at the end of the heat, I needed like a 7.5 and just imagine what a Superman air would look like in those waves. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. 
truly, truly bad. Just a <laughs> disgusting thing to happen. Please don't do that. And I did for some reason. <laughs> and it happened right at the end of the heat. It was the semis. And the judges took, you know, this was over 10 years ago. And so nobody knew what to do with a Superman on a knee-high wave. Front like, side? They, I think it, front side, yeah. No backside Frogman, Jordy Smiths. Uh, and I remember it took them a while, so long to think about it. I just went into the beach and I remember I was just like standing there kind of near the judges. And I told them personally, I was like, look, no hard feelings if I don't get this 7-5. Like that was really lame. And don't <laughs> think that you have to give me a score. I know it's confusing, but like you don't have to do that. Uh, but I got the score. And then, uh, when- <laughs> the old reverse psychology on the judges. That is brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, flipped it on him, got the score, made the final, took it out. It's great. No way. That is an unbelievable yeah. story. Yeah. Wait, so how I does that relate Aris to is, what we were talking about again? Errors being really hard to judge. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm sh- yeah. And and how much? What was on the line for an event at that point of your career? I think I won fifteen hundred bucks. It wasn't a WSL or then ASP sanctioned pro juniors, like a local one, I think it was 1500 bucks. So another big one in terms of content you could watch is I'll be Larry's new video rainbows in the rear view. Rainbows in the rear view. Yeah. I've, that, I've, that's just dropped. I haven't seen that yet, but we spoke about that last week. You really liked that film. And obviously you interviewed Albie on the site. Can we just talk about that name for a second? It's a pretty poetic name. Did Albie come up with that? He did. And the reason is fantastic. <laughs> what is it? Can I just tell you my interpretation before you tell me the real one? Please do. Because I was like, I was like, well, it's a kind of like a dark, dark name. It's like rainbows are in the past. You know, it's not like, is he saying my best surfing is behind me and the future is going to suck? You know, because he didn't call it rainbows in the windscreen. And I know that wouldn't have the same alliteration and people love alliteration, but that's how my only interpretation is. It's like, it's really kind of negative. It was the opposite of of any kind of optimistic view into the future. Well, it's a great story because that is how it started. At the beginning, when COVID started kicking off, Albie was in a position where just like most other pro servers, he's getting some pay cuts and I think he may have lost a sponsor. And at that same time, the filmer that he's been working with forever had moved back to Oregon with his family. And so things kick off and all of a sudden Albie's like, oh my God, I'm losing sponsors. I don't have a filmer. Like what's going on? Is this the end of my career? And everybody kind of had the sense the world was ending then, right? And this project came to be because he went with Matt and was like, hey, we need to do something. Like we need to do a project. We need just something to like get going on right now so we could keep our careers and do all this. And the name they started playing with was Rainbows in the Rear View because it felt like the world was ending. Huh. Ended up making a great movie. And there are some parts of it that tie into the name as well, specifically the end section. But is there, is there a literal me, rainbow in the, in the rear view mirror? There, I don't think they got that shot. No, mm. there's a few rainbows in it, but I don't remember seeing one in a rear view mirror. Uh, but the end section they have just, it's incredible. You have to watch it. We ran a story on it before, but with just photos, it's a wave on Maui that they are so terrified of. You can see it in their faces when they talk about it. It's like you're talking to somebody who just returned from war and they got a really good one, a really good few sessions there. And the energy when they come in, it kind of closes out the film. And I think it 
plays in the name there. But Albie told me the way he thinks about the film now is they got crazy waves. It's a beautiful film and they had a great time making it. If you've got a rainbow in the rear view, that means you're driving towards the sun. Because rainbows only appear if the sun is facing away from them. You know you need the sun on one side and the rainbow will be on the other. You always have to have the sun at your back if you're going to see a rainbow essentially. I, right? didn't, I didn't know and, that, but that makes so much sense. Yeah. And so now he thinks about it in terms of we're driving in the sun. Everything's good. You know, golden age. So wow. it, it, was a, it was a journey really. <laughs> I didn't really take Albie for a, a very metaphoric and, and poetic thinker. I thought it was great. I thought it was great. Yeah. Another big story this week is what I'd like to call Burning Man, the Burning Man Festival at Kira, which <laughs> earlier this week, Stab posted a clip of a Kulungata local getting what would be the wave of pretty much anybody's life. Yep. Making it just really long to Kira coming out, but he burned somebody yep. to get it. And Mikey Ciramella actually caught up with the, the burner, the Burning Man. <laughs> the festival organizer <laughs> and just got his whole, you know, was it intentional? How do you feel about it? And it's a great interview. That's on, uh, that's on our site now, but did you see that clip? Yeah, I saw the clip and I read the interview and man, it, it's an incredible tube. It's so well shot. Mark Llewellyn, it was the guy who captured that. And all I could think is, yeah, that was an all time tube, but the guy that was behind him that got a, even bigger run up would have had an even better, you know, wave of his life and made a whole nother section potentially. And, um, yeah, I, but I love the interview because the guy, the guy, the burner was so, was so candid. Burning man was so candid about why he did it and that he felt zero remorse. What did you think about that? I loved burning man's complete unapologetic attitude. Yeah. And I thought he had a really interesting point. Like any other wave where you could get the best wave of your life, like he used pipeline, I think, as the example, but you can't paddle out and just expect to get the best wave. And the rules are a little bit different there because it's just such a long sandbank and it creates this sort of, you know, there's no defined peak where you can figure it out. It's just this big open playing field. But as a result, the locals are just kind of faceless and have to fight with other people for the most part. At least it sounded like he was, I think he was playing that up a little bit more than is reality. <laughs> yeah. But it was really interesting. I thought that was an interesting point. I, I hadn't thought about that. You see so much, seems like every swell you see crazy footage from Kira, but also some sort of incident where there's a jet ski or there's a burn or there's just something wild happening. And I'd never, yeah. never thought, I never realized how much of a weird head fuck it is there. Yeah, but in saying that, there are other factors. Pipeline's a lot heavier and that is one of the huge deterrents and, and the reason it's not as crowded is because it's a shallow reef break. It's, it handles a lot bigger size. I just thought, I thought while he, you know, could use all the rationalizations in the world to, to justify that particular burn, I just didn't think from like a principle-centered point of view, if you're going to think about like scaling this out and as a model that anyone can follow or, or 
a type of thinking that you can apply to the, the concept of localism in general. It doesn't really like, it doesn't really scale. And he definitely didn't mention anything in particular about this guy. He didn't say this guy had snaked him. He didn't say this guy had faded him before or, or been disrespectful in any way. He just essentially just said, I have lived here longer. Uh, I'm a local and therefore I can fade this guy on the wave of his life. And I, d- I don't know if like, I don't know if that, you know, I totally get where he's coming from. I would have been super pissed off, frustrated and um, and hating being in that surf, especially when you've you've surfed at a lot, lot less crowded. But I feel like he might be in a little bit a little bit of denial about, you know, what that wave is and it's only gonna get more crowded, you know. Is there anything you think he could do to remedy the situation? <laughs> Any any penalty he should pay, you think? <laughs> oh, the fine for like the, yeah, the penance for, for dropping in on someone on their wave of their life. I don't know, I, man. That's a, lot, that's a lot of money if you want to put a financial figure on it. I don't think it should be financial. I think one thing that comes to mind for me is I think he should have to exclusively go left at the <laughs> Superbank for one week. You know, there's that left, like up the top at Snapper, you get that one where you yeah. do a few turns. I think he needs to sit, like he can only go left for a week. And that's, like he has that. to kind of mourn. He has to mourn like that. Yeah. Th- that's like, that's pretty low stakes. I mean, if it's pumping, I guess that's going to hurt. But that's, I feel like that's kind of low stakes punishment if we want to try and equate, if the punishment wants to fit the crime. Maybe it's like left, left out there for a year. Left for a year? Whoa, that's severe. Well, that's severe. I mean, Can you imagine being a Gold Coast regular foot and having to go left for a year? That's <laughs> criminal. That's like, a, that's really severe, I think. Yeah, you work on, your, work on their back end, which many of them probably never do. <laughs> anyway, I think it'd be a good way for him to clear his conscience. And I do think. He doesn't I have a conscience, though. He's like a. Uh, Burning Man's a sociopath of. Of fading, there was not a single <laughs> bit of remorse. <laughs> he will not accept your punishment. <laughs> that burning man is a bit of a sociopath, isn't he? He sure is. Oh <laughs> uh, well, I do think I'd like to open this up to our audience, though. And I think if they've committed any sins in the past, recently, whenever, if there's something that just is sort of weighing on them, some wrong that they've done that involves surfing. I want to open up our DMs on Instagram, at Stab on Instagram. And if you've done something, leave us a voice memo about what it is and we'll air it on the show and we will tell you what you can do to absolve it. We'll give you a penance. You know, Danny will fucking try to send you to prison apparently, but I'll just (laughs) tell you to go left for a bit. Uh, But yeah, hit us on Stab and share your, your wrongdoings and we'll let you clear your consciousness even though Burning Man doesn't have one because he's, he's a sociopath. I like it. All right, well, let's, let's kick it off with, with you, Buck. Have you got any, anything you need to get off your chest? This one has been weighing on me for a really long time. When I was, I'm going to say 15, and DVDs used to come with surf mags in the mail, I got one from Rip Curl. And as you do when you're 15, you just watch it on repeat forget what the name was exactly, but I have such a strong memory of an Indo section with Rayoni Montero. And it was this torched reggae song. But again, as you do when you're 15, you don't have taste at all. You just, whatever's in the surf movies, that's the soundtrack that you're going to listen to without a doubt, you know? And so I had to get this 
really bad reggae song that Rihanna Montero was surfing to. And so went to the LimeWire, you know, the file sharing, just porn thing back in the day. And I remember I broke my family's computer trying to download this horrible, horrible <laughs> reggae song. And I've felt bad about it ever since. This has been weighing on me for so fucking long, man. Did you let them know when the computer started just virus meltdown? Did you, were you like, oh, it could have been that, that, that reggae song? It could be my brain like making it up, but I remember the shutdown being pretty quickly, like quickly realizing something's wrong here. Something went bad, like the computer started acting up immediately. <laughs> I remember we didn't have to get a new one, but it had to go away for a little bit. And luckily that was the time when like computers were just this thing that sat in a room and somebody might mess around with every now and then on a Saturday. It wasn't, you know, built into your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that, that's been weighing on me for a really long time. All right. And what's the penance for that? What's a, it's a fair penance for that. I feel like you might have to wear your leg rope on your front foot for a little while. That's fair. I think that's fair. How many, how many surfs would you say? Who used to do that? I remember you mentioned one of your stories that someone used to do that. Gil Hurday and Matt Keckley. Oh, two Less people. drag, baby. Oh, yeah. Less drag and a whole lot yeah. of inconvenience. Yeah, yeah. All right, I think uh, you've got. I think you've got two surfs with a leggy on the front foot because your family computer, while not critical, was a great source of entertainment at the time. I'm sure. I think that's fair, and I'll cop that. We might have a little wind swell this weekend, so. <laughs> can we? Will... Can we document this too? Can you try and get some GoPro footage? <laughs> I'll do my best. Yeah. <laughs> You'd have a GoPro uh, holster on your board, wouldn't you? Yeah, right on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> I have it. Um, I use most of the footage for my vlog, but <laughs> like and subscribe, please. Thanks, Bark. And please don't forget to submit your surf crimes to the podcast so you can receive your sentence. Send a direct message to the Stab Instagram account or record a voice memo on your phone and then email it to me, danny at stabmag.com, D A N Y at stabmag.com. Now let's hear from Ronnie Blakey. Aaron Blakey is his official name, but he's known as Ronnie. And as you know, he's a commentator on the world tour. And as you also know, he's easily the best commentator on the world tour. And above all else, Ronnie's just a, just a good guy. The amount of people that Ronnie helps in his life is it's pretty phenomenal. People in the surf industry, pro surfers, both free and competitive surfers, all seem to go to him for advice and he just seems to be always bending over backwards to make time for people and, and just help people whenever he can. And his advice is good. So yeah, he's also the best guy in the world. Pull that mic in however you oh, yeah. do it. You'd know how to talk on a mic much better than I do. <laughs> oh, come on, Danny. <clears throat> hey, did you ever do media training? No. Never, no media did, training? Did bits and pieces. Did stuff at Fox Sports in studio and then had like producers kind of give us good tips and Oh, so just tips, no down. media training? No, and then um, WSL, when the new ownership took over, they brought in different people. But yeah, it was, it was more so just working with people from different industries, not necessarily straight study media training. Yeah. Like what did you learn though? What are some tips or what are things that you changed about your own approach? Um, the Fox Sports crew were good. There was one guy in particular who um, 
produced like the um, Matty John show and whatnot and he just had good tips. He was like, oh, I'm, in his opinion, surfing was kind of like swimming in that, you know, in swimming there's the dive, the turn and then the lap home and they're your moments to be energetic mm. um, and surfing's kind of like that. It has a lot of downtime. So he was like, you should spark if someone's paddling for a wave to wake people up or get them looking at the telly. Yep. And then like carry that energy and through and um, and also like ramp it up as you're coming into like the last minute or so of the heat just so it's like energy, even if it's flat, like even no one's surfing a wave, just so you kind of get that light and shade moments in a day of lots of downtime and multiple waves ridden. So little things like that were cool. Yeah, like that's on some level seems obvious, but when it's said so succinctly like that yeah. and you're given such a template, it's pretty handy. Yeah, like the templates are like, I don't know, they're just, they really work. They keep you on when you get tired or whatever and you're thinking like new heat, you know, like new energy. Give the surfers the same energy at the start, ramp up the... Well, the boring heats, <laughs> as you would <laughs> the big ones. Hey, Howard, talk to me about the Aussie leg because it's like new tour, tour format, new destinations, yeah, and then all the, the weirdness of COVID in general. Was it a, was it a strange year on tour so far? I think just a strange, bizarre year in probably any industry or for any sporting body just to like get things rolling. Um, I was kind of privy to sort of some of the whispers and rumours about an extended Australian league just based on the fact that our situation here was nowhere near as gnarly as some of the other countries. Um, so I kind of had a feeling that there would be more events here. I didn't really see them being in the places they were at. Um, but I think, again, the goalposts just kept moving because COVID kept flaring up in different parts and there was issues with the you know, surfers getting into Victoria without quarantining and, um, you know, to the WSL's credit, they like pivoted and moved really quickly to change things up. So, um, yeah, it was super strange, but awesome that once they had finished the Australian League, they were five events done um, and, you know, only a couple of events away from, from wrapping up a pretty much a full schedule. Yeah. And Ron Dog had a job again for a few months. And I had a job for a few months, which was uh, <laughs> unreal. Um, got me out of the house, gave the what, the family a break from me. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was cool. It was, um, it was definitely unique, you know, um, for sure. Like WSL strives to put, I'm sure, uh, events on at, um, at better locations. But... Um, every finals day of the Australian League f fired uh, and provided, you know, waves that almost as, as good as the location can provide Bar Narrabeen, which, you know, was still really entertaining but didn't have waves as, as good as it can get. Yeah, and Narrabeen, the final in particular, the men's final, or both the men and the women's, was a, was a pretty, you know, pretty blown out heats. Like there was just a strong leech from the start and that was it, which is you know, just the way that went. But 
in terms of the, the rest of the event, it made me realize that event that I don't actually care about the weight as much as I do about opportunities and lead changes. Because if there's opportunities for them to, to surf and catch a lot of waves in a heat and then there's lead changes, that's kind of the only thing you really need. Because I mean, if it's completely dribbly, it's obviously boring, but yeah, sometimes the waves, uh, we kind of put too much emphasis on them, I think. For sure. Yeah, wave quality, you know, we, we, all, we all want it. We all want to see world-class waves. Um, but I'm with you. I think opportunity is like the most important thing. And I've seen like long period swells in Tahiti um, on, on dying long period swells where the waves are, you know, really high quality when they come. I've seen finals just just die one side of the fair because there's you know a, a guy sitting out the back just waiting for an opportunity that he never gets yeah. and it's like that's way less entertaining than mediocre waves with lots of opportunity and and still good surfing happening there's no fun in watching someone sit there waiting for a wave that's not coming <laughs> yeah. and you're you've always said the pipeline the finale at the end of the year is your favourite event to watch. Yep. And now that that's gone in this this year, is is the surf off at Trestle is going to fill that that pipeline shaped hole in your heart? Oh yeah. Well, now pipeline is my favourite event to watch as a uh, opening event of the year. Oh, it wasn't even the fact that it was a finale. <laughs> no, no, it was definitely the finale factor. I, I think um, you know it's uh, going to be a big conversation and. Um, you know, decision for WSL to make going forward if they they commit to this surf off format. Um, I, I think you know ultimately they wanted to to keep the surf off close to headquarters and um, you know whether whether you think Trestles is a a good venue for the the finals. It's definitely. Uh, a fair venue for the fact that it's a good right and a good left. Um, but, yeah, I, I like a wave of consequence. So I, I think that's, you know, it's a conversation that's been had so many so many times since the uh, the announcement of the finals at Trestles. Um, and I, I think all the opinion that has been put out there is really valid. Um, you know, I, I can't put up an argument for trestles yeah um, i guess my question is more like i know you're a fan of the surf off so we have a less less interesting venue but mm. will the surf off element make it just as exciting anyway yeah I, I i'm just looking forward to sitting back and watching how it plays out before i throw any kind of judgment or you know, preconceived ideas about how the the surf off format works and how the venue works. I, I just want to see it play out for the first time, and I'm not going over there, so I, I feel like that actually will will be even more enjoyable. Just fully indulging and and sitting back and watching it all play out. I I, lo- I reckon the format's going to be insane. I I kind of part of me hopes that the you know, at, at this point in time, part of me hopes that the surfer who's performed the best throughout the year manages to break through for the victory. But then I know when I'm watching it unfold that um, an underdog victory will be p- 
potentially even more special. Mm. So, um, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll just have to wait and see how it plays out for the men and women. And what was the chat on tour this year when you were around events from, with the surfers and everyone else that, that travels with them? Were people talking about the Olympics, the surf off? Was there any rolling themes of conversation? Yeah, I, I, think, <clears throat> I think it's the interesting thing that's happening is you've got this wild battle happening for the final five and that's a huge narrative. Um, and, you know, in some ways it's not too dissimilar to how it was before um, except now a top ten finish doesn't seem to really mean too much. It's like big deal, you made the top ten but you're not in title contention so whatever. So I feel like it's actually um, created even more of a, a mid-pack kind of just almost like a lost narrative on this like mid-pack. Um, you've got your title contenders. You've got those guys just outside that final five. That's the big story going through the year. And then secondary to that is the story of requalification and it's all about guys hanging around the bubble and just outside it trying to stay on tour. And then you've got these middle-of-the-road crew, men and women, who are just sort of like, yeah, they've qualified and they're not really part of the narrative for the, the year at all unless mm. they, they do something exceptional. So I <laughs> kind of feel like that's, you know, uh, and as a result of that, I, I feel like we're, we're, we're seeing the, 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 maybe the downside to that, um, that people who don't feel like they're in title contention that um, see big things for themselves uh, who have had a bad run so far this year, um, who are in the middle of the, middle of the ratings, um, not fighting for qualification. So uh, I feel like those people are going to really struggle for motivation to keep it up and keep turning up at events. Uh, and Julian Wilson's probably the biggest example of that, you know, like bad run, not going to be in title contention. Is he going to be going through quarantine just to keep his place on tour and he, he's made a decision that he's not going to do that. So, yeah. Do you think that's the last time we'll ever see him in a CT event? He doesn't have a major sponsor that's going to give him a wild card and I, he didn't necessarily have an, an event that he at his, in his hometown or one that he won multiple times that he's synonymous mm. with for the world tour to be motivated to give him a wild card. So mm. is, I can't imagine him getting back on the QS. So is that it? Will, will we ever see him in a CT heat? Such a good question. And... Um, you know what, I, when I saw that he'd made the announcement, I was really happy for him uh, because I feel like the Wilson family is like, uh, I've known them a long time and they're like one of the tightest families ever. Like family is the biggest thing to them. Yeah, I just feel like he's almost been unhappy since the start of the season competing probably the right call but if, I don't know if we'll see him in a CT again it's um, I don't think it's about uh, sponsorship or whatever and getting wild cards um, the wild cards uh, haven't in the last few years been necessarily about um, event sponsors at all you know WSL's like pretty willing to, to throw them around the big question that I was kind of asking uh, about Julian myself was like, you know, does he believe that he can win a world title? Yeah. Um, 
And I think a couple of years ago, and at the start of every season, I think each surfer like really dreams it, but I feel like it's gotten a bit away from him in the last few years. And um, yeah. Well, given the sacrifices you have to make, if he is that dedicated to family life, I don't know if you, if you could get to that headspace and dedicate the amount of time and focus mm. on, on being a, you know, a killer. Like they all say that you need to get into that yeah. psycho headspace, then it's probably hard to do when you're kicking around with a two-year-old and trying yeah. to play with their toys with them. It's just such a, it's such a different time. I mean, that's, that's why I think it's really cool and like just a really smart decision if you're not feeling it to not do it. Um, the, it'll be interesting to see what he does get into uh, because, you know, I think he's been one of those guys that's been so um, all in on competitive surfing that, you know, other than maybe stab in the dark, like we haven't really seen him produce that much content and, and work on kind of projects. There's been a couple with Red Bull, but there, there hasn't really sort of been anything that, you know, is a, a big departure from competitive surfing so that that'll be interesting to see yeah in saying that though he's such a reluctant talker he hates talking on camera from the impression i get and he's not necessarily bad at it mm. but he doesn't seem to want to be talk on camera and it is hard to stay relevant when you're above the age of 30 without bringing in some storytelling mm. and, and a bit of character so it'd be interesting to see i mean his jw raw clips that he has on youtube are fucking phenomenal because his yeah. technique and style it's you could watch you can just watch him surf but i I'll be interesting to see if he, he points a camera at himself and starts talking. <laughs> I mean, I don't think he's going to do a vlog. I hope not. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he does there storytelling-wise. I have no idea. I just – I hope he just has a, a nice break to begin with. Um, so, seems like he, he's – you know, he kind of needs it. But um, he's got the Olympics and then, and then we'll see. Hey, but stepping back a little bit to wildcard talk – are you privy to the numbers and not the actual exact numbers, but the comparative numbers uh, when it comes to people in heats? Because I heard that Mikey Wright was really appealing to the World Surf League because he's, he's, the viewership during his heats would actually spike. And I know famously that for many years, Kelly's would astronomically spike the, the viewership. Do you, are you guys in the booth privy to the numbers of, uh, and the spikes for, for different surfers? No, no, we're not. The Mikey one's interesting. I'm just uh, imagining where that audience is coming from, you know. Uh, like globally is is his surfing recognised as sort of being a, a major draw card? It's, it's kind of hard to imagine, you know, but it, it could be the case. Um, but, yeah, no, we're not, we're not privy to it. I, I think um, I, I've kind of feel like the the big heats kind of sell themselves um yeah but as far as individuals go i'm not sure that's not a conversation that ever comes up no nah, not really no nah. but yeah i imagine like when mikey first came on and was a wild card you know once he beat john john or gabrielle um you know and came up against the next world champ in the the very next round you know the, there would have already been like a bit of hype about him mm. and the story would have been like you know mullet madman beats <laughs> world champion in first round soon to face gabriel medina like you're you're going to tune in for it yeah those stories sort of i don't know they they 
they pour petrol on themselves to a degree and I, I think that's probably the reason that you get those, those little spikes. Yeah, for sure. And hey, you've watched more heats and been around and been following pro surfing for longer than just about anyone. Do you care about the Olympics? I'm, you know what, I'm like a little indifferent. I, I, I kind of feel about surfing in the Olympics uh, the same way I feel about the Olympics. Like in the lead up to the Olympics, I have no interest and then it comes on and like I'm, you know, down at Fair Dinkum Bargains getting in an Aussie <laughs> scarf and, and beanie and, and getting up at three in the morning to watch the water polo team. But it's just one of those things that's sort of like um, I, I, I saw this post that Carissa Moore did the other day and she was getting her jersey that she was going to compete in and she was like saying how emotional she was about it and like it was becoming more real to her and I feel like her explanation in her, her caption kind of like summed up how I feel about it. It's like it hasn't felt real because, you know, uh, in, in some ways the qualifying process was quite convoluted and a little bit hard to follow. Yeah. Like even um, when we were announcing uh, qualified athletes, it was um, – it was like they'd seemingly qualified. They still had obligations to go and compete at the ISA. So, so we couldn't, couldn't say they officially yeah. had qualified. So it was a little hard to just kind of get excited about and just even understand what the process was, where was it going to be staged. But now that all that kind of – that's been demystified and you can kind of see how it's going to work, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of feeling a bit of a – a buzz about it. I, I can definitely um, feel how much it means to those surfers involved. Yeah, and, uh, I, I feel like when when it gets underway, and you know that the story of a, an individual winning a gold medal in surfing for the first time, you know, when that actually happens, it'll it'll definitely mean something to me. Yeah, I just I I don't know. I, I feel like we already have an international. Tour, so you're already representing your yeah. country. The Olympics does have a, a thing that you can really cling on to. Yep. But to me, it's like, the, it's like the royal family or something where you look at this family that we're supposed to be interested in, but on, when you actually break it down, they're way more boring than anyone else because they live this completely conservative, weird life. And the Olympics is meant to be this big comp that we're meant to be interested in. But when you break it down, it's in less like, you know, less than optimum conditions with, so it's essentially like a QS, it's not, so it's like trying to get excited, but like, why? I just can't, I can't find a way for it to exist or anyone to care on an individual level, like Carissa or anyone else. But yeah, maybe it'll change when I see it. Yeah, there's certain, um, there's certain sports that, you know, when you, th you think about the Olympics, um, you know, they're, they're the first sports that you kind of, think about yeah exercising um, going for a run yeah, going for a swim just the, the straight ones that you can only care Shot about put, once every four high years jump, you know like uh javelin pole vault don't watch too much pole vault other than the olympics <laughs> but um but surfing is you know it's, it's the first time you know i think i think yeah. as there's a, there's a few sports like surfing in the olympics which um you know, the, the thing that surfing has going for it is it's got the best people in the field. Um, there's a, a few sports that just can't attract those big names. Really? Um, like what? 
Oh, basketball, golf. Oh, really? So the, the best basketball players aren't going to the Olympics anymore. Um, I think that there's a lot of them that just flagging it uh, are not right part of it. You know, huh. like Simmons isn't playing in the Australian basketball team because yep. he wants to work on his craft for the next season. Hmm. He wants to get his game in order, and it's sort of like, well, gold medal could be a pretty smart way to do it, but. Um, <laughs> So He's yeah, not playing basketball, there's a, so he can there's work a few on sports basketball. I think that are, um, you know, that are professional sports uh, that have very established tours, um, and and for them, the individual, some of the individuals, the Olympics isn't the pinnacle of that that sport. Yeah, um, and you know, a lot of people will argue that surfing is the same, but the people that won't argue that. Surfing is the same as those that are representing their countries and qualified to compete at the Olympics. For them, it's like an opportunity to represent their country, to win a gold medal, to be like the first Olympic champion. And um, that's kind of something that I can get behind. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting, but, you know, like surfing's got a, an association with the Olympics. The Duke was an Olympian and like, I don't know. Are you going to call the Duke out for being a, a Barney? It's a big call. <laughs> <laughs> Shame on you, Dan. <laughs> uh, well, can you imagine? I mean, I think the the WSL is really happy about it. I think there's a there's mutual benefit to the the relationship there between the WSL and um, the ISO or the Olympics in general. Can can you imagine a, a bit of a spike? in interest from in surfing from the Olympics? Yeah, maybe. Okay, it's, what can you imagine a bigger spike from? The Olympics or the ABC TV show, The Ultimate Surfer? Um, it's a good question. It's a really good question. My only, because... Uh, it, 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 if I don't you, know. If I, someone I, I, gets a medal from your country, then that's going to be huge and there's going to be a lot of attention given to it. But it's just chaos for two weeks. There's so many sports happening. So, like, the idea that surfing's going to get this huge boost just because it's included in this whole package of a million sports, sort of, I don't, I don't, I can't quite see that happening so much. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the, the, the sport's evolving. I, I, I think it, it kind of grows all the time, you know, like, participate participation-wise, it's up, but there's all different levels of surfers. It's, it's like, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a really fun activity to do. Um, you know, like, we all ride push bikes, but we all don't all watch Tour de France and, like, freaking invest in new mountain bikes and whatever, but, you know, it's a, particip a participation sport. But, you know, I, I think you're... Uh, your interest can be picked by a, a a different sport based on an event that that happens. You know, like F1 is probably the best example. I had no interest in Formula One. I didn't know how it worked. I knew it was fast cars, um, but until the uh, Drive to Survive yeah. Doco series came out and like gave me some really sort of basic understanding of of how it works now I, i've kind of find myself like just checking on the results and seeing what yeah. the next race is it's sort of like those kind of things can happen and you know like it 
it just took that one series to give um, give you a, a bit of a an understanding of, of how the sport works, and also give you an understanding of who the individuals are involved for. I think a lot of people to start taking an interest in it. So to say that, you know, the Olympics won't generate some interest is mad. There's definitely going to be people going, who are these people? You know, like, how does this work? And, you know, potentially taking their their interest in surfing to another level. And the ultimate surfer will probably actually generate more interest, but um, that's because it's going to use reality tv as a vehicle and for some reason we're all baffled as to why that works but <laughs> it, it does hey talking about drive to survive the the makers of that show yeah. were actually following the tour this year yeah did they put you in a chair and quiz you out no they didn't uh chat to me uh and i feel like that's maybe pretty similar to the um the um, actual drive to survive thing. You know, you didn't really hear from some of the voices that... Uh, the commentary team. Yeah, the commentary yeah. team. People that you hear from all the time. Because your actually, voice will be in there regardless, I guess, probably, when, they, yeah. when they show highlights. Um, but the other thing is, mate, they, they had the... Their sound guys were the creepiest <laughs> dudes. <laughs> and I'm, this is a compliment. But... You would be having a conversation, you know, they've got free range. They can capture audio from wherever they like. So the WCL have said, hey, you're, you're free to yeah. record anything that happens yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, big disc, you know, they've, they've got license to go wherever they like. And their sound guy has this boom um, on this like extender pole. It must be like 30 feet long. You could be having a private conversation and you just get the feeling that someone is listening and hovering about five feet above your head is this fuzzy mic. No and you're just like, holy shit, what did I say? Really? What did I say? That happened to you multiple oh, times. And there was people saying that, oh, my God, I don't know what I've just been saying for the last half hour I was holy chatting to shit. someone. So <laughs> I, I hope they don't throw anyone under the bus. But, um, yeah, who, who knows? So is the whose format- audio is going to feature in this, this <laughs> surfing documentary, is- this series. It's going to be outrageous. Guaranteed they're going to have some absolute gold oh, from yeah. that. They're going to catch people out talking shit about one another for sure. Because that's what we all do. Yeah. Oh, 100%. You know, I'm the most inappropriate person you know. <laughs> well, so is the show, do you get the sense that it's going to be similar to Drive to Survive where it, it takes this sport that a lot of people don't know anything about mm. And it introduces characters, it introduces drama, and then it it packages it in a way where, you know, a non-surf audience can go, holy shit, I get this, I'm invested. Well, my understanding is once Drive to Survive came out, pretty much every sporting body, every single sporting body reached out to hmm. the production company yep. and asked them to do the same thing because it just... It just took the sport to a whole different place. Um, and their pick was surfing. Like they were intrigued by it. They you know, picked surfing? Yeah, they, they wow. were intrigued by surfing and they, um, huh. they saw an opportunity to, you know, I think um, probably figuring that the sport is, you know, relatively young and, and still quite raw and probably just picking up on some of the stories uh, about how the surf industry have informed and 
Um, just the, the history of it uh, definitely garnered a, a great amount of interest from them. So they were kind of keen to, to jump on it. You know, there was probably a lot of sports and more profitable sports they could have picked up on. But, um, yeah, I can't wait to see what they, yeah. they pull from it. But they were there for some big moments, you know, like some hell dummy spits and wow. blow-ups. and. Um, so there must be a lot of things that you see behind the scenes that never make it to the broadcast in terms of surfers' interactions and people being, you know, angry, emotional. Yeah, I mean, I'm for 50% of every event I'm tucked away in the booth sort of, you know, watching it unfold on screens. But, yeah, you, you inevitably sort of are close to some moments. Um, probably someone like Stace or Rosie who's doing the roving reporting and out in the field, hanging around the competitors area, down on the beach, getting reactions, like they're going to be captured, like, or definitely witnessing things that don't make it to broadcast um, a little bit more than, say, Joe and I and the commentary booth teams. But, um, yeah, certain things happen. Like, I... I have no doubt the um, the the crew working behind the scenes capturing the footage for this series, uh, you know, definitely would have picked up on, you know, really awkward interactions and blow-ups hmm. between competitors and whatnot, more so than what I may have in all my years. Great. Yeah, should be awesome. <laughs> I had the same experience with you. Jackie Lynch, great surfer. Jackie Lynch was like, oh, you got to watch this show. And I was like, I don't like car racing. I don't know anything about it. And he's like, it doesn't matter. And I, I fucking couldn't stop. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I like, uh, Toto, the Mercedes principal. He's my favourite. Oh, guy. yeah, he's your favourite? Christian is really good, but <laughs> we like to let our cars do the talking. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's good about that show as well, though, is it's almost like... Fuck your Danny. <laughs> It's almost like wealth porn because they're just these like billionaires just kicking around. So I guess the characters in surfing won't yeah, be oh, as man, extra- extravagant. Who knows? I heard that they followed Morgan through Newcastle though and he was just unbelievable. And they just picked up on him being the local kid in the first event and then he went on that run. Um, they went out with him. I heard he went on a tear. He went on a tear. Wow. Yeah. And so he's just well, there with he camera was, crew. After the you know, finals day, he was... He was claiming that day was Morgan Siblick semi-final day, as a, <laughs> like a, as a as a city holiday for Newcastle. Oh. <laughs> Didn't even have to win to get a public holiday these days. I love that. Yeah, that's fucking great. So Buck and I were covering off the news this week, and we started talking about the Mick Fanning shark incident at J Bay. Yep. And he was kind of making fun of Joe Tapels the way he called that heat. And then I let him like that. No, and I don't know if it's with the previous conversation with you or Vaughn about how you actually are meant to call a you know potential disaster unfolding live in front of you, and and that Joey actually did it perfectly. And so, can I, can you just explain like what you're meant to do when a when a, when there is something unfolding where you have yeah. no idea how severe it's going to be? I just have my phone ready next to me in the booth. And I just have Joe's number ready to call. <laughs> and in the event that something horrific happens, I just ring Joe. And that's, that's kind of my emergency plan. Um, but that was, that was like a, um, 
you know, that was a, a precedent, you know, like nothing had happened like that. You couldn't foresee anything like that happening. Um, you know, I think as the, having been around the, the broadcast from those online broadcasts from those early days, they, they got more and more professional all the time, but. So when, I, when I did you start? Uh, when I left Waves back in the day, um, the next year I was just doing some freelance writing and a bit of consultancy work and then um, I worked on a couple of QS events and um, Billabong were a supporting sponsor at one of those events and uh, it was Sterling Howland who was um, part of their marketing team at the time and he was running their broadcast and he invited myself to go over to Tahiti and work on the CT. And these were like really... With Mitch Ross as well. Really pretty shitty internet speeds, but oh, yeah, watching no, these broadcasts and they were so sure. ghetto. They were, they were kind of getting pretty good at that stage. I mean, the first um, few were kind of early 2000s. Um, that was when they were kind of getting visuals and whatnot. Um, but so it was moving really quickly. By the time they got to sort of 2005, 2006 and stuff, the broadcasts were, were pretty solid. Yeah, so it was super loose, no briefings or anything like that. But then no, all the no, way no, up until... Well, no briefings about moments like that. Yeah. I don't think it was until, um, you know, the mixed scenario that those conversations started happening before the events kicked off at right. every stop, at every huh. venue. And, um, you know, basic... Basically, uh, I don't know uh, if what happened with Mick um, would... I don't know if it would play out the same way on broadcast if that happened. It would probably be, you know, they'd probably take a wide shot, not maybe, you know, follow him on, on a tight shot um, just because you just don't know what the outcome of that whole situation was. Yeah. Like we didn't know if he had legs or not. Yeah. It was sort of like one of those scenarios. But um, yeah. Like, so so like the way Joey I, did it and the, he, he just said exactly what was happening, he didn't pontificate about whether it was good, bad, yeah. that it's going to be fine, that it's not going to be fine. The fact that he just said what was happening, which I think my understanding is that is how you get coached to do it now. Yeah. He just had that natural approach without any, without any training. Or, yeah. the, big, wow. the big thing is to not speculate, you mm. know, and just call what you can see. Um, but... You know, don't don't assume you know what the situation is. Like, only only what you can see on the screen. And Joe absolutely nailed it. You know, it was lucky for WSL he was their guy in the chair in that moment. Yeah, I, I don't know how I would have handled it. It's you know, it's hard to say. Um, I th thought Potts uh, in his position, like kept a handle on things too, you know, he like, I think he dropped a holy shit, mm. but like that, it doesn't matter what sport, sports commentator was sitting in that position. I, I think, you know, if you put every commentary team in that, in the world in that same position, I, I bet you'd get a few more holy shits. If, if Potts screamed more. and ran out the door, I don't think anyone would have held it against him because that is just one of the most horrifying yep. things. And you guys have got all relationships like. Yeah. Well, the, the fact that Joey said anything is pretty remarkable. Yeah. Like it, it, they could have just said nothing. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was sort of, it was reassuring his voice in that situation. And um, yeah, he just played it perfectly. There's been a couple of like 
um, shark, shark visits uh, <laughs> since then and I, I've had a couple and Joe's had a couple and it's sort of like the messaging is there now, you know, like, you know, we don't even speculate that it's a shark but it's sort of like, hey, they're, something's been spotted by the water patrol team, we're on hold, safety of the surfers is paramount and that, you know, while it's the script and there's probably some people who would prefer we just ad-libbed it and went all out and started throwing claims out, you know, like it's an eight-foot white <laughs> and it's circling the competitors. Like, it, yes, that would be entertaining, but at the same time it's like you, you can't speculate about those things because yeah. it just creates unnecessary drama and, yeah, so, um, yeah, that's kind of like the deal now. We just get briefed beforehand you know, the whole, the messaging is, you know, don't freak out. We're not, we're not going to throw you under the bus by showing something, you know, it would be a freak occurrence in, in that situation that something up close is shown and it would only be for a split second at most. But, yeah, it's it's in the back of your mind some, sometimes for sure. Shit, yeah. And you're really close with Mick. You were Mick's media manager for a long time. Are you still that? I'm, I'm working with Mick still, yeah. Yeah, so you've worked with Mick for a long time, really good friends for a long time. Can you just explain the the feeling when he made it back up to the competitors area where we're all hanging out? Because didn't didn't he grab you and say, "Hey, I want to let my family know that I'm all right," just given that yeah. hysteria, like and, and wanted to do a <clears throat> oh, piece to sure. camera? Yeah, I think it was like pretty surreal the circumstances. Like he, you know, he, he spoke pretty much straight after out in the water patrol boat with Pete Mel and it was kind of light and he was like chuckling and then when he got to the beach the gravity of the situation was I think sinking in for everyone not just mm. Mick um, and that was pretty full on I think he was alright and then he saw um, he was really shaken like he was in shock for sure but then uh, Ace Bucken's wife uh, Beck was there and obviously uh, knows Mick really well and she was quite emotional and then I think it you know, hit him and it, it, did, it hit, had it hit you like I mean I know it, it had to um, but like were you in I shock was, as well yeah I I think I had a few moments throughout the evening and just like going, oh my god that happened and like kind of you know don't don't think I ever got too emotional later that night they had sort of like a, a bit of a party and um there was a few people speaking and, you know, that was emotional. Um, but, yeah, it was it was definitely gnarly. But, yeah, we were still doing the broadcast. We were kind of like staying online to make sure that we could, could communicate whether there was going to be a final or, or what was going to happen while that decision was being made. And there was obviously so much to talk about. Um, but, yeah, in that moment I'd interviewed... Uh, Kelly, I'd spoken to Kieran Perro uh, about what they were going to do and then Mick and Julian uh, then exited kind of like Kieran's office where they'd made the call that they were going to uh, call the event off and, um, yeah, Julian came out and had a chat to him and it was just really... Uh, it was just about uh, communicating what had happened and, yeah, like... Like you said, Mick had said, yeah, I want to just – I wouldn't mind, like, just telling my, parent, my parents that I'm okay, my mum especially, because um, they were at home watching it and trying to get in contact with different people. Yeah. So, um, yeah, got those interviews done and actually, like, it was 
I, it was all kind of sinking in through the interviews. It was really bizarre, but yeah, Julian uh, broke down for a moment. All, all so understandable, and um, yeah, it was, it was probably pretty compelling television at the time. <laughs> I heard it was the most watched sporting event ever. Just the way it, it spread online. I mean, because it was so much more than a sporting event. Yeah. But yeah, it's pretty pretty high drama. Yeah. Well, it changed mixed life, that's for sure. Yeah. How so? Like, do, do you just think it- the just the level of um, kind of fame that oh, yeah. that came with it, and uh, you know, there was a few people that reached out to him and uh, shark attack survivors that said the. The frenzy of a shark story with the the media is way worse than the encounter itself. <laughs> They're just so like everyone loves a shark story. It just went manga. Everyone loves a shark story. It just went manga. Everyone loves a shark story. Everyone loves a shark story. It just went. Thanks, Ronnie Blakey. That is all we have for this episode of the Drop. Thanks for listening. Please don't forget to send us your surf crimes for next week's show and you will receive your punishment. But also email any correspondence, questions, criticisms, whatever you've got. Uh, There will be links in the episode description to some of the articles we talked about. My email and Buck's email is in there as well. See you next week or see you in hell. After spending time with Ronnie, I didn't realise... I think hair gives away much more than it really should. And what I mean by that is I'd always assumed that Ronnie was like professional, straight up and down, like by the book, kind of not that funny. And Vaughn was the funny one that was just the loose cannon, which he obviously is. But Ronnie and Vaughn, I've come to learn, are just the fucking same person. Ronnie just has hair. Like Ronnie is just the sickest cunt and he's fucking such a legend and he's full of energy. Like that four events that we worked on, man, he's riding bikes and going for walks and surfing every day. And I'm just going, holy shit, this guy's living life. He was saying that he was sucking the marrow out of every, sucking the marrow out of the day, every day. And I'm like, you fucking are.